0: All right. Good morning, Three Circle Church. We've got all of our campuses joining us right now. Uh, Before I dive into week two of the Fruit of the Spirit series, I want to remind you that here at Three Circle, there's a lot of opportunities for you to serve, for you to get involved, and not just uh, take part in Three Circle, but be a part of what we're doing here as a church body and a church family. And so if you've never taken that step to serve in any way, I don't want to make you feel bad about that. I just want you to know there's opportunities for you to do so. And if you do get involved, you will love it. Like you'll never regret it. And one reason is you build great relationships and you get to know other believers as you serve together. And so if you've never taken that step, we want to give you that opportunity. It's really easy. It's not a commitment, by the way. If you fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you, And at the end of the gathering, you can drop it in the boxes at the exits, or you could go out and walk to where the big balloon exhibit is out there. That's where you go with these cards. That's our serve area for this, this week. And that's here at Fairhope. At every one of our other campuses, you can go to your lobby at your own campus and there our team members will be there to receive those cards from you and have a conversation. But that's what it is. It's, a, it's you saying, hey, I'm open to this possibility. I'd like to talk more about it. That's all it is. And so if you do that today, you want to take that next step, you're open to that. Let us know. We would love to see you be a part of what's going on here. Now, we're going to dive into uh, week two of the Fruit of the Spirit series. And just a reminder, last week to begin the series, we looked at what Jesus had to say about it. Jesus introduced this idea of the fruit and the vine and the branches and the vine. He introduced that idea in the book of John to his 11 disciples because Judas was gone. It was after the Last Supper, right before the cross. And Jesus is telling them, hey, I want you to bear Much fruit, not a little, but a lot. I want you to bear fruit. This is what Jesus wants for us. He didn't just mean that for those 11. He spoke to them and through them to all of us. And so one of the results of the Christian life is that we would bear fruit and much fruit. And then Jesus makes clear that we can't do it without him. He says, you have to abide in me. And we're going to each week start here because if we don't, what will happen is as we go through the components... Of the fruit of the spirit. You will think hey I'm going to run out. And be more loving this week. And then the next week you'll go out. And try to be more patient. And you will fail. Man, You will fall flat on your face. Because you can't produce these things in you. You have to stay close to Jesus. So if you want to see more fruit. You need to get closer to Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. And the stuff just starts happening. You will work really hard. To see no fruit. If you do it on your own. So now we're going to dive in further to the truths of the Bible and see, okay, what is it that God is teaching us here? So now we go to the book of Galatians, where Paul is going to further detail what Jesus introduced to those 11 disciples. Paul's going to tell us more about the fruit of the Spirit, and to do so, he's going to use a technique that writers and artists use. Remember, the Apostle Paul is brilliant. Uh, He has sections of his writing that even in the secular world, non-believers They call it some of the greatest pieces of literature ever. We're going to read one of them today. It's the love chapter in Corinthians. And so here's Paul being the great mind that he is, being used by God. And instead of jumping right into the fruit of the Spirit and telling you what it is, he's going to first tell you what it's not. He's going to use a technique called contrast, where he's going to give you something to contrast the fruit of the Spirit against to make it more clear what it is. And he's going to start with what it's not. Look what he says, Galatians 5, 16 through 21. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. Now, everybody hit the pause button. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that if you're a believer, you've got something new inside of you, but that new thing inside of you has not moved out what used to be in you. It's still hanging out too. The two are at war now. How many of you experienced that war inside of you, right? Your flesh won't be gone until you're dead. Just know it's bad news and good news. One day it will be. We'll be complete in heaven. No more wrestling the flesh. But right now, that thing you were born with, that Paul calls the flesh, is still in you. But God, if you're a Christian, has put this new nature in you and the two are at war with one another verse 18 but if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law now and here's what he's going to contrast we're getting to the fruit of the spirit but he starts with what it's not which is the works of the flesh he says now the works of the flesh are evident in other words just like the fruit of the spirit you can see them they pop out on the tree this fruit is going to tell you what kind of tree it is the works of the flesh are evident then he gives us a list Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then I love Paul's like writing this long list and he goes, and things like these. <laughs> it's not an exhaustive list, but here's a pretty good start. And he says, things that look and smell and feel like that. This is called the works of the flesh. He says, I warn you, I've warned you before, those, and you might grab this phrase, who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that is a stunning statement and it's a scary one. Now, let me make clear what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. That idea, that concept, who do such things, means characterized by. Okay? So, actually, if all of you just heard that list... If you're like me, you're going, ooh. Like, you'll see yourself in the list, right? Like, you're still at war with your flesh. Your flesh still produces these things. But if you're a real believer, more and more and more, the pattern of your life, what you're characterized by, will stop being the works of the flesh and will start being the thing we're going to study today, the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? So if, if these things pop out in your life, well, the flesh is still there. The question is not what your moments are, what's your pattern, What's your direction? What are you characterized by? Let me, let, me, let me say it like this. Here's the deal. Every now and then, at 45, which I consider the prime of life, okay, I will walk out on my driveway. I played sports in and, and, and high school, and, and uh, basketball was one of them. And I'll go out on my driveway, and, man, I'll, I'll play with my kids, and I'll have this little flash of a moment where, ooh, something great happens. You know what I mean? Great shot, and when it happens, I typically get right back in the house. You know what I mean? It's like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and I get out of there quick so that the real me doesn't come out, okay? So I'll go out, look, I can can shoot a little bit, okay? Get out there and dust it up a little bit. But no one would, I better not fool myself, because when my name drops somewhere, no one says, oh, that's the basketball player, (laughs) right? I mean, at 5'11 and three quarters, just a shade under six foot, man, I'm not dunking. Okay, And I'm not like, I'm not Steph Curry or anything. I never played a day of college or uh, professional basketball. So I need to not fool myself just because I have a moment every now and then of glory on my driveway with a basketball in my hand. No one is ever going to say, oh, the basketball player. No, I'm characterized in a different way. That's not who I am. Now watch what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't fool yourself. Just because you have a little God moment every now and then, just because you, 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 oh, Jesus is cool. Just because you go to church sometimes. Just because you hear a song, runs a little tingle down your spine. All right? He says, if you are characterized by the works of the flesh, you are not going to heaven because you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. If your name drops and the works of the flesh is what you are known for, what your patterns are, then he's like, I got to warn you, whatever you are, you're not a Christian. You can't be one because Christians are characterized by something else. So now let's look at what he's doing. The Apostle Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit to help us understand both more clearly. <clears throat> in Romans seven eighteen, he says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. All right. So he's admitting that he's a Christian, the Apostle Paul, but he still has flesh. And he says, and nothing good's coming out of my flesh. Nothing. He says, I have a desire to do what is right. That's the spirit in him. Now watch this. You go, How do I know if I'm a believer? Do I have a desire in me to do what is right? Is that there? Do you have a new appetite inside of you? You're still going to fail. You're still going to mess up. But you've got a new movement in your life. Paul says this happened in his life. He says, I still have flesh. But I got this new thing. This new desire to do what is right. Watch this. He admits though what Jesus told us in John. But I do not have the ability to carry it out. Do you see that? Paul says, I can't do this on my own. I want the fruit of the spirit. I can't pull it off on my own. Which is what Jesus said. You will do nothing apart from me. Okay. Now let's dive in. What is the works of the flesh? What does Paul tell us about it here? Well, first he tells us the source of the works would be the flesh, not the devil. Stop blaming everything on the devil. Okay. The devil's just playing the guitar strings that are already on your heart. He's pretty good at it. I mean, the devil just can play that thing. Devil went down to Georgia. True, true story, right? It's hitting the room slowly. I can feel it all across the room. But we blame too much on it. Satan's not omnipotent, omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He does not have the power of God. He is limited in his scope. And the Bible does not say that the works of the flesh originate with him. It originates in us. You were born with a set of guitar strings that your spiritual enemy just plays. Okay? The source is your flesh. By the way, when you look at that list that he gave us, the works of the flesh, they're ugly and repelling, aren't they? How many of you would ever take that list and give it to one of your kids and say, hey, here's what I want for you right here? Would you do that? No one writes down that list. Even non-believers would look at that list and go, oh, that's terrible. You know why, though, I think we're uncomfortable with it? Because we all see ourselves on that list somewhere, don't we? We all know that that's in us. You need to know that's in you. That's what Paul's trying to tell you. That's an ugly list. And it's in you. And if you don't get to Jesus and get in him, that's what's going to come out on your tree. That's the stuff that'll pop out. So he says, hey, it's an ugly, repelling list. Here's another one. The works of the flesh need no development. You don't need any help becoming more selfish. Selfish. I know this about every person in this room and at every campus. I like me some me and you like you some you at the end of the day. And you may be sitting there in your heart right now going, oh, you don't know me, I'm a very humble person. No, you're not. You just proved it. (laughs) No, sir. We all have this in us and it's, watch this, the works of the flesh, which Paul wanted you to look at before you look through the spirit so you can understand what's the difference, The works of the flesh are natural, organic, baby, all natural. They just roll out of you. It's just there. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to develop it. You don't have to push into it. It's just coming. And in fact, it'll keep coming unless you kill it. You got to get a big can of Roundup to spray these weeds. They will choke out what you want to see grow. It's natural. The works of the flesh need no development. James, in his epistle says this, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. Here's what sin looks like. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the devil. Wait a minute. That's not what that said. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it'd be easier to deflect to him. But that is not what it says. It says, sin happens when we're enticed by our what? Own desires. It's in us. And then how it works is, then desire, when it's conceived, listen to the fruit language here. It gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it pops out, right, on the tree. It bring, and by the way, it brings forth death. What we're going to look at, the fruit of the Spirit brings life everywhere it is. But the fruit of our flesh is always death. It's death to marriages, it's death to families, it's death to relationships, it's death to communities, it's death to friendships. Listen, what you do naturally on your own is poison. It's deadly. It's death. It kills. It destroys. And the best among us, the most morally upright, It's in you. You need to be aware. You've got a weed garden growing inside of you. You were born with it. And if you don't kill it by God's power, it'll choke out what God is doing in your life. Be aware of this. It's no fun to look in the mirror, but we got to do it. And then finally, the works of the flesh, Paul is showing us, is plural. Notice it's works with an S. It's plural. This means you can pick and choose them. You can, with the works of the flesh, say, you know, I'm not real big on uh, lying and deceit, but I'm more of a lust person. That's my jam. And you can pick and choose. You can. You can pick which vial of poison you want to sip on. And, and by the way, when we look at our lives, that is how it works. Many of us have these things in our lives and some of us lean one way and some of us lean another. And when the, when the trees of the Garden of Eden fell, they fell in 50,000 different directions. They all fell, though. Sin nature in every one of us. Every single part of us is touched by it. And so, you can pick and choose them. You, we all have different areas that's more our weakness. That's what the works of the flesh looks like. So, now. Now, Paul has done the hard work of getting us to see what's in us before Jesus that's still around in there after Jesus comes into our lives that we've got to watch out for and he he gives us lots of information about what we don't want in our lives. It's plural, you can pick and choose. It's natural, this is who you're going to be. It is your autopilot before you come to Christ. Okay? And if you're not careful, it's going to pop back out. It's just super easy. Then there's this word, but. Oh, we better be thankful for it. It's why we had to start with the works of the flesh because without it, that word but in Galatians 5.22 wouldn't make sense. But now it does. Now it does make sense. We got the works of the flesh sitting here, but Paul says, but this is what God's doing in you. Aren't you thankful for that? Like this is who I used to be. This is what he's doing now. This is what he's gonna do in me and in you if we're truly believers, but, and here we go, but the fruit of the spirit is, Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And there it is, the quintessential teaching and verses on the fruit of the Spirit in the Word of God. Now let's look at what he says. Before we go on to the components, we need to start with... This idea that he's given us of the fruit of the Spirit which originated where? Right before the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus with 11 disciples. Now now Paul's grabbing what what Jesus started and he's, he's just explaining it to us more. And we can contrast the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. Okay, so let's do that. What is the fruit of the Spirit like? Well, first of all, the source of the fruit is the Spirit. Do you see that? Now, what's different about that than the works of the flesh? Watch this. The works of the flesh, you produce. The fruit of the Spirit, God produces. See the difference? That's why Jesus said, oh, by the way, you guys can't do this without me. But you can do the other without him. You don't need God's help to be selfish. You just are. You don't need God's help to get angry over stupid stuff. Because humans just do that. Right, But to be patient and kind and loving and gracious and humble, oh, oh I'm not pulling that one off on my own. So that, that's the first thing you need to understand, is that the fruit of the Spirit cannot be done by us. The, f- the source is God himself. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit, unlike the works of the flesh, which are ugly and repellent, the fruit of the Spirit is beautiful and attractive, isn't it? When I look at that list, I go, "Ooh, now that's a list I would give my kids. And say, here's what I want to see in your life, right? It's beautiful. You want to know why it's so beautiful? When you read those words, you just go, oh man, that's pulling on me. Here's why. All Paul is doing is writing down the characteristics of Jesus himself. That's all it is. This is the character of Christ. The character of Jesus of Nazareth. Who walked this earth and did that. Jesus was so astoundingly dynamic. As a perfect human, living the fruit of the Spirit perfectly at every single moment, he was so astounding to those around him that John said that if he would have kept writing his gospel, every book on earth could not have held what he could have written to us about Jesus. About what it was like to be around that. To hear that, feel that, see that. It was powerful, it was attractive, and that's the whole deal. God wants his people to produce fruit that he's doing through them, and the world sees it, and it pulls people, not to us ultimately, but to the God who produced that fruit in us. That's what God's up to in every single one of us. The fruit of the Spirit is beautiful. We want it, we see it, it's unlike the works of the flesh. Here's another thing that's important. The works of the flesh are plural. You can pick and choose, not through the Spirit. Don't say the fruits of the Spirit. Because it's not the fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, and you cannot pick and choose. In other words, I cannot, as a Christian, go, you know what? I'm a loving guy, but I'm not real big on patience. (laughs) My love. That's my jam. You can do that with, watch, watch, let me tell you the difference. I can do that with the works of the flesh because I'm doing those. I cannot do that with the fruit of the Spirit because I'm not in control of how that works. He's doing it in me. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. When you become a Christian, the fruit of the Spirit is implanted in the dirt of your life right there. Because the Bible says every Christian is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. He is in you. He has moved into you. And with it came the seeds, the fruit, every bit of it. You need to look at it as singular, and great theologians have come up with different examples. I'm just going to just fully attribute this illustration to guys like John Piper and R.C. Sproul, who both use this illustration, and it's this. They say that you should look at the fruit of the Spirit like a bouquet of flowers, not as individual flowers. Although you can still look in there and go, oh, I see that one and that one and that one, and, and there's a rose and a tulip and a lily and all that. But you should look at it, though, as singular, it's gifts. So if I were to give this bouquet of flowers to my wife after church, I would not say, hey, babe, I've got you 12 flowers. I would say, no, I got you a bouquet. And I'm going to give it to her all at one time. Now, she wants to sit back and then enjoy looking at each one. But it's not meant. It wasn't meant to be picked apart. It was meant to see it as one unit. And that's what God does when he gives the fruit of the spirit into our lives upon believing in Jesus. It is singular. Even though we can look at the components, it's given to us at one time. Now watch what this means. It means that the fruits of the spirit can grow on their own as uh, the, the, the works of the flesh can grow on their own as individual works. Not this. Watch. When I grow in patience, I grow in love. Because I'm not just growing in that one thing. I'm getting close to Jesus. That's how any of this happens. So as I get close to Jesus, that whole bouquet just grows. Every time I'm with Jesus, it grows. It becomes more prominent. It becomes more powerful. And they all grow at one time. Do you see that? That's how it should be seen in our lives. This is what God is doing in us. And finally, the fruit of the Spirit must be cultivated not so of the works of the flesh. They just happen. It's default. But God, And by the way, here's the deal, because if I'm not careful, us works-based people will go out and go, I'm going to be more loving, and next week I'm going to be more patient, and you'll fail. No, 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 no. Remember what Jesus said. What Paul is saying to you when he lists these out is not for you to go run after each one. He's wanting you to look for them as you're getting close to Jesus. He's saying, watch, this is gonna happen. It's kinda like a personal trainer going, hey, watch, in three months, you're gonna see these little knobs coming up on your arms. Just keep doing it, you'll see it. Paul is saying, walk with Jesus. Watch this, watch for this one, you'll see them. They're gonna start popping out and all of them are gonna start happening. You're gonna see it if you walk with Jesus. They have to be cultivated. And who does the cultivating? Not you. You are not in charge of this process. There is a Savior, Jesus, and there is a Father who does the dressing of the vine. You remember him saying that? The vine dresser. The gardener, if you will. Pruning, plucking, working on you. Making that fruit grow. Oh, man. I don't know. Anyone else just think that's beautiful? That God does this work in our lives? And now we come to the first component, not to be seen by itself. I want you to every week see them as singular. But we come to the first. It's first for a reason because it is the greatest. Jesus said it's the greatest. The apostles all say it's the greatest. The first one on the list in the bouquet is love. Love. And the love that we have here in the Greek is the word agape, and it means choice and action. Let's talk about this for a second. Because in our English language, we throw the word love around a lot. I love baseball. I love my dog. Some of y'all, I love cats. You know, whatever. I love. I love trees. We throw it around. The problem is the English language is simplistic in this a beautiful language, of course, but we, we got a little lazy, and we'll take one word and let it mean 100 things. The Greeks weren't like that. The Greeks got a little more in-depth, and there's three words for the word Uh, love in the Greek language so like let me tell you the problem if I say to you I love pizza let's say and I do how many of you love pizza let's be honest it's a a good thing all the food groups are there we got our carbs we got our proteins dairy vegetables with the tomatoes it's delicious All right, but if I say I love pizza but you know that it's different if I say I love these people Right? Like you just know that. I'm not saying the same thing because those people, that's my two sons, my daughter, and my wife. And that's like, oh man, I gotta look at that picture and start feeling warm and fuzzy, okay? Because I love them and it's different than the way I love pizza. Because I'd give my life for them without even thinking twice about it. And I think about them all the time and their well-being and are they okay? I think about it all the time. So it's different, right? We all know that. So Thankfully, the Bible gets specific, and Paul grabs a specific Greek word out of the three. And he does not pick the word for just normal life. He doesn't pick the word eros, which is one of the Greek words, which means sensual, sexual, romantic. It's not a bad word, it's just not this word. The word he grabs here is agape, and agape is specific. And it's the kind of love that Jesus talked about, it's the kind of love that Paul talks about, it's the kind of love that is described as the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a choice. It is a love, watch this, the best way I know to make it distinct for you is that this love does not just feel, this love does. And there it is. This love doesn't just feel. It does something. Agape love is not emotional. Affection It's not physical attraction and it's not duty bound. Duty bounds when I used to say to my daughter when her brothers were getting on her nerves, I'd say, well, you do love them, right? And she'd say, well, I guess I have to. (laughs) That's not agape. Agape is I choose to love you and I do something about it. And in our culture, we got all kinds of stuff flying around, but this is what biblical love looks like. This is the fruit of the spirit. And let me tell you why, because any of the other Greek words for love we produce on our own without even trying. We produce eros, emotional, sensual, romantic. It happens without trying. Uh, My love for food or love for nature or whatever, that's just, it comes out of you. Agape is not natural unless you're in Jesus. It doesn't become part of your nature without Christ. Jesus told his disciples that This was the kind of love he would display for them. In John 15, he said, greater agape, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Do you notice he's connecting love and relationship to action? He first tells them basically this. I've told you I love you for three and a half years. I'm about to show you that I do. I'm about to die on a cross for you. Church, you want to know what agape love looks like? Ultimately, it's a cross. It's a king hanging naked on a cross for you and for me. He displayed. His love didn't just feel, it did something. And then he looks at his disciples and he said, in the same way, if you say you love me, you're going to do something. You know what it looks like? Our love for God, obedience. That's what it looks like. But we are to show this love to others. It starts in our homes. It starts with our tightest relationships. When it's hard to love those around me, when I'm not feeling it, well, that's when agape is best displayed. You you know what I'm saying? I mean, let's be honest. If you've been married long, me and my wife, 23 years, I love my wife. Some days it's all, have I told, told you lately that I love you? Other days it's like, you're really getting on my nerves. You know what I mean? And that's her singing that to me, you know, never, never the other way. To be honest. And it's then because a lot of people go, oh, I must've married the wrong person. No, 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 no. Agape says, no, I choose to love you. R.C. Sproul had this great story, great theologian. He, he, he had this story about a, a pastor who the guy comes up to him after church. He says, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a divorce. I'm out of here. I'm tired of my wife. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? And the guy said, well, I don't love her anymore. He says, you can't just decide. You don't love her anymore. The Bible says you must choose to love. Agape love. You've got to choose to love your wife. And the guy said, I can't stand her. I don't even want to be in the same house with this woman. And he goes, hmm. pastor said, well, what if she lived down the road from you? You weren't together anymore, but she lived down the road for you. Would that be better for you? Yes, I would. That would be great because she wouldn't be in the house with me. He goes, uh, well, that would make her your neighbor. And the Bible says you must love your neighbor. The guy said, well, I'm telling you, it's worse than that. I can't stand this woman. She drives me. I don't want her around. I want to hear her voice. He said, you know, it sounds like you would see your wife as your enemy. And at this point, the guy was starting to catch on to what his pastor was doing. He just rolled his eyes. He said, yes, sir, he, she does feel like my enemy. He goes, well, you know, the Bible says that you must love your enemies. Point. Love sometimes a choice. And Jesus in me is best displayed when the love he modeled for me is displayed in my life for others. Now, who is it that's the hardest for you to love? Well, that's where to see this work in action, man. Not just in your home consistently, but among the believers, us loving each other. I mean, we all got a lot in common and a lot not in common. That's why the church is so beautiful. Do you display your love for others? Um, And then do you love people that are really hard to love? How about people groups that might be on your nerves right now? Now You can disagree vehemently. You got to draw the lines of truth. I get that. Do you love them? Do you love them? Do you love people like Jesus loved you? Jesus taught and he modeled this kind of love. He didn't just teach it. He modeled it. And make no mistake, according to Jesus and the apostles, the greatest flower in the bouquet is love. None of the others happen without it. As I told you, Paul famously wrote about agape love in 1 Corinthians. We're just going to read it to you. We're not going to break it all down. Just just kind of breathe it in, these beautiful words that even secular scholars consider a masterpiece. What we're about to read is considered widely in, in academia world and literature world as a masterpiece of human writing. Here we go. We know it's not human writing, right? Here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith, even to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things to which we all go. That's beautiful and also impossible. And you're right. I can't love like that and you can't either. And it's why Jesus said... You can't do this apart from me, so get close to me and you will see this impossible thing happen in your life. It's just going to pop out. You get close to Jesus and suddenly you're going to love in a way you didn't know you could. That's why it's so stunning. That's why it's a mark of spirituality in your life. I can't do this. I can fake it for a minute, but not long. Finally, you see that the works of the flesh Are self-centered, the fruit of the spirit is all relational. And so in closing today, you go, well, what do I do with this? You got to do something with the word, not just hear it. Well, let me ask you, do you love like that? Or do you have to feel it to love people well? Well, if that's the case, then you're doing that on your own. You can feel on your own. Do you have the God-given ability to love when it's hard? And I want you to write down on that sheet of paper you have as I pray over you who or what group of humans who is it or what group of them is it that's the hardest for you to love. Write it down. If it's your wife or your husband you might want to tightly roll that up and put it in your pocket. (laughs) And then I want you to just start there and say Jesus help me with this. Lord thank you for your word today. May we live it out and not just hear it to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, by your power and in your name. Amen.